Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 20, though our text is going to start in verse 25. A continuing study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Father, we've... Uh, Come here, come here this morning just with, from a lot of different perspectives. Some have traveled here for graduation. Some have had a hard week. Some are praying and looking for employment. Some are missing their moms. Father, with all of these things that can occupy our hearts and minds, I ask that you would, even as we gathered in worship this morning, that you would, by your Spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand what you would be saying to each of us individually, as a family, as a body, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> there are sermon notes in your worship folder if you care to follow along, and this week we have a PowerPoint. I want you to think about this question. If someone were to ask you, what does a Christian look like? How would you answer them? What does a Christian look like. In Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32, we've begun talking about some of the distinctives of a believer, characteristics or these signs of life, the life of Christ in someone's life. That is, if you have the life of Christ that we've talked about in Ephesians 1 through 3, that is, if you have the life that we've talked about, 
there should be signs of that life in how you live your life. There should be signs of life. And the problem is, and in the church today, many, perhaps most, professing Christians don't really have a clear understanding or distinction or definition of what a true follower of Christ looks like. I believe the time has come with all my heart that as believers, we would collectively, as a church body, take off the old dead stuff and to begin to put on a new self to be the church, that we would see the glory of Christ in the church, in us, because we are his people. And as such, in your life, in my life, there should be evidence that this new life is there. To do that, in order to root out the dead and bring in the living, in order for us to really be the church, one of the first things we need is to see a fresh, radical nature of this faith. Christianity, I said last week, by definition, is more than a list of things that I believe. Christianity is more than having a list of right doctrine, as important as right doctrine is. But the very essence of Christianity is change. It is transformation. It's going from death to life to be transformed into the image of His Son. The very definition of Christianity is this. I have been recreated because I am a new person. We spent months on the first three chapters of Ephesians learning the fact that I've been changed. You have been changed. If you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior at that moment, Ephesians 1.13 says, you are given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteed. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, a lot of things change in your life. Radical change. I mean, is there anything more radical than going from death to life? Is there anything more radical than when you receive Christ as your Savior, when you, were transfer, when you transferred your trust from whatever it is you trusted in to Him, You went from condemnation to being holy and blameless before God. You went from a condition of being cut off and far away to being brought near and brought into his kingdom. You went from a condition of not knowing God to having the privilege of at any moment continually to come into his presence and to call out to him, Abba, Father. Because I've been changed. I'm a new creature. I have new life. I have new direction. I have new hope. I have a new inheritance. I've been redeemed and so much more. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. All those changes that took place in me when I transferred my trust to him, all of those things, marvelous truths about who you are. Christianity, again, by definition, is change. It's a transformation. It's a recreation. It's going from death to life. It's being changed from the inside out. The whole 
point of this, this whole thing that this new creation needs to act like a new creation, needs to act like a new creature. Ephesians 1 through 3 says, this is who you are. Ephesians 4 through 6 says, this then is how you need to live. In verses 17 through 14 of this chapter, Paul, in a real general way, or so it seemed, basically says this. How do you live this out? How do you walk this worthy walk? Paul basically says, I want you to look at the world, see how they live, and I don't want you to live like that. He says, Strip off the old and put on the new. Then in verse 25 and following, he gets really specific. He says the first sign of life, which we discussed last week in verse 25, is this. Therefore, each of us must put off, take off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. He says... If I'm going to have evidence of this new life, I need to take off lying. The first sign of life. Exchange is, I exchange lying for telling the truth. Lying like, oh, I, didn't, I didn't really lie. I just shaded the truth. I didn't, I never lie. That would be an exaggeration. And of course, I just lied. If I withhold the truth from someone, I'm lying. And Paul says in the strongest terms, all those things, listen, all those things look like spiritual death. Why have any allowed to have that to have any part of us take it off? Second sign of life. The life of the believer is found in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. In this verse, Paul exchanges, says we are to exchange inappropriate anger for appropriate anger, actually. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. We'll unpack that last part in a couple of weeks. This verse, in your anger, don't sin, has been a problem for many. Some point to this verse, and they they think it gives them license to be angry. Others look at this verse, and they conclude it's never appropriate to be angry. So whenever they feel that, they they just stuff it because I'm not supposed to be angry. New American Standard renders this verse this way. Be angry and yet do not sin. Be angry. In the Greek, those two words are what is called a permissive imperative. Permissive imperative. Now, many of you probably know that an imperative means it's something you're supposed to do. In this case, it's like, it's imperative that you're angry. Be 
angry. But it's a permissive imperative, which quite literally means that under certain circumstances or in certain situations, it's not only okay to be angry, but it is an appropriate, it is an, an appropriate response. Anger in certain situations is appropriate. But do not sin when you do it and don't give the devil a foothold. What is he talking about? Well, let's dig in. Need to start with a word study on this word anger. As such, what we need to know right from the beginning is that there are three different words in the Greek that somebody could choose from to refer to anger. And I hope this helps you as much as it did me. Three Greek words for anger. Thumos, para, or gizmos. And I'm going to have to say it like nine times. So if I say it different each time, just work with me. Number one, thumos, paragismos, and orge. Number one, thumos. Thumos, thermo. This means the boiling point of fury. It has to do with an explosive kind of anger. This kind of anger is unpredictable. You don't know when it's going to go off. Literally, it means to go up and smoke. This kind of anger is never, listen, this kind of anger is never to be characteristic of somebody who has the life of Christ in them. In fact, this explosive, unpredictable kind of anger is used in the Bible to describe the character of somebody who is not redeemed. Now, obviously, there are believers who struggle with this kind of anger. But I'm telling you, when that kind of anger is being evidenced in your life, believer, you don't look like you're alive. You look like you're dead. I don't know how many of you live in a family or have lived in a family where your dad is, was this way, or your mom was this way, or one of your kids was this way, or a coworker is this way. But I want to say it's probably one of the most terrorizing family settings to live in. Because you never know what's going to set them off. You come home from school. Dad might be pleasant. He might not. You don't know. Comes home from work. He might blow up. He might not. Dinner may be uneventful. Maybe the highlight of the day. You never know what's going to trigger it. Unpredictable. Thumos is not a characteristic of life. Thumos is a characteristic of death. Second one, paragismos. End of verse 26, this word is used specifically in the, when it uses the word wrath. This kind of anger is described as an inside seething. Can you picture that? An inside seething. It's a fuming. It's a kind of stewing 
anger. It boils and it bubbles. Generally, paragismos is quiet. That is, it doesn't go boom without any warning. It just sits there, simmers and stews. But you know it is there. It's right below the surface, bubbling. You can see it on their face. You could see it on your face if you looked in the mirror. This kind of anger, this lingering resentment, this turning, this churning, this kind of anger is so serious that in Matthew 5, Jesus calls it the first step toward murder. Churns, we rehearse it and nurse it and it boils and and I'm going to do something about it. And people do. Parogismos' anger, again, is not a characteristic of one who has life. This kind of stewing, broiling, is characteristic of one who has death. When you see, you've got to ask yourself, where's the life? Where's the joy? This is very serious. Very serious, because if our lives are characterized by a constant flow of explosive anger, or if our lives are characterized by a constant flow of seething anger, we give evidence of the enemy having a foothold in our lives. Are you with me? Please let me again affirm that we may be believers and not look like it. This is serious. Thumos, paragismos, makes it look like I'm dead spiritually. Verse 31 says, get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Thumos, paragismos, because it makes it look like you're dead. Take it off. This ties right in with verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Oh yeah, thumos really builds people up, right? Paragismos, oh, so happy to see you. Those two kind of angers, explosive, seething anger, they naturally turn into unwholesome communication if that wasn't the great understatement of the message. Listen, when our heart is full of thumos, when our life is characterized by paragismos, what's in the heart is what comes out of my mouth, right? Unhealthy communication, unwholesome communication. The phrase, by the way, unwholesome communication means literally corrupt communication. No, it's worse than that. It means worthless, useless communication. Graphically, it means rotten, putrid communication. More graphically, still diseased communication. That's what comes out of your mouth when this stuff is churning. Listen, when a heart is full of thumos, when a life is characterized by paragismos, It's going to result in a lot of diseased 
rotten communication. Happy Mother's Day. Congratulations, congratulations on graduating. Aren't you glad you came? I believe I can safely say that every one of us have been part of conversations where the language is diseased. We've all given space to where the conversation is rotten, sick, useless. It drips with slander. It drips with malice. It drips with bitterness. We talk about somebody else. And it's all born out of, out of a heart of thumos and a lifestyle of paragismos, seething, explosive anger. Why did they get to do that? Why did this happen to me? And the result is the stuff we spew when we talk with other people, often about other people. Listen. If you don't believe the statement is true, you haven't read James lately. When you combine a tongue with a temper that has no spiritual control, you have the most lethal weapon known to man. Third kind of anger, also found in our text, In your anger, do not sin, do not be angry, and yet do not sin. The Greek word here, this permissive imperative form of orge. This particular anger is, has to do with a settled conviction. A settled conviction. How many of you remember Popeye? 50% of the room. When Popeye has had enough. What does he say? That's all. Come on, say it with me. That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Right? So many people raise their hand. I know Popeye, but I don't know that. I don't. A, a settled conviction of something that makes you angry. In other words, you have a certain priority or conviction or value in your life. Certain things that you're committed to in your life. And when any of those things get violated, when what you value gets violated, when what you care about gets violated, whatever you're committed to, it will make you angry. Does that make sense? In fact, going on back to my... Sunday school class, you want to practice contemplation. See, it's not enough to just say, I'm angry. It's not even enough to just go, I'm angry about this. You want to figure out what's going on, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to say, why am I angry about this? Why does this make me angry? And where does that come from? This kind of behavior is natural. We all do this. There, there's really no way for you, no other way for you to be. It's going to happen. 
If you're committed to something and it gets violated, you will be angry. In this particular text, it says, be angry. So it is in the life of the believer when certain commitments of mine are being violated, when certain values of mine as a believer get defiled, the appropriate response is to be angry, to be upset about it. And if I don't respond by being upset about it, there's something wrong with me. If I sit in silence when I know that there is sin in my life and it doesn't bother me, I, there's something wrong. When I sit in silence when a brother and sister in Christ are going down a wrong road and I do nothing, I say nothing, that's a problem. That's not a mark of a healthy church. Talking about them is also a sign of an unhealthy church. Going to them, speaking the truth in love, is a sign of a healthy church. Amen? And that's what we do. Right? Smiling out of your heads. As a church body, there are some things we need to take off. Like how we talk about each other. And there are some things we need to put on in their place. Amen? With all that, I want you to hear Paul's exhortation. Paul tells us that as true followers of Christ, one of the signs of his life, of the life of Christ in me, of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, is there are some things that should make me angry. Jesus got angry. Are you okay? Jesus got really ticked. But hear the whole exhortation. In your anger, righteous as you may think it is, don't let it go to thumos and don't let it boil and seethe because if you do, not only have you given in to sin, you have likely given the enemy of your soul a foothold into your life. And with that foothold, he will turn your anger, as right as it may have been at the beginning, he will turn it into seething, boiling, perhaps explosive anger. You know it's true. Application. Take a deep breath, because this is not a 30-second application. We're going to unpack this a little bit. What's the answer? Like I said, in upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about if I've given the enemy a foothold in this area or some area of my life, we're going to talk about how to take it back. Because if you've given it over, you have, because of who you are in Christ, you have the authority to take it back. That's good news. The answer of what to do right here is easy and hard. It begins with this. Speak the truth to one another. 
If you see something in me, church, Dover, if you see something in me that is hurtful, that I've crossed the line with somebody, you've observed it, how I spoke to somebody, it's not okay for you to not talk to me about it. It's also not okay to talk about to somebody else about it. If you see me doing something hurtful, something that's inconsistent, something that doesn't bring the glory to God, it hurts the body of Christ, what you need to do is you need to come speak the truth to me in love. You want to really hurt somebody? Just go speak the truth to them. If you can't speak the truth in love, you need to pray more before you go and talk to them. Amen? Here's what we shouldn't do, again, because it leads to all sorts of disease communication. When you have a problem with me, don't go and talk to someone else. Jesus gives us clear instruction on this. If you come talk to me, and I blow you off, get somebody else, and the two of you come talk to me. And if I still blow you off, get a larger group. The goal is restoration and reconciliation. Amen? Likewise, if I have a problem with you, I see something going on, I see you say something, do something, I am responsible before God and before this body to go to you and to speak the truth in love. Sometimes I get to do it in a sermon. I do hope you know I love you. Here's something else. Because we can really help each other with this. The next time you're in a conversation, maybe it's later today, maybe it's sometime during Tulip Festival. Stand there next to somebody, a neighbor, a friend, the parade's going by, somebody's chatting you up in the ear, and it begins, the conversation begins to become diseased. Are you with me? Would you just lovingly turn to that person and say, hey, don't tell me anymore. I don't want to hear anymore. Could you do that? Well, I don't want to offend them. So you're just going to let them keep piling through that and I'll take the risk. Let's lovingly be offensive. In fact, if they're talking about somebody specific, you just say, you know, hey, you should go talk to them. Because that really is the truth, right? And we're supposed to speak the truth in love. When you see it, when it happens, Paul calls us to do it today. Don't blow it off. Don't put it off because you're just going to forget it. Because if there's something that you need to deal with, 
deal with it correctly in the right time and don't let the sun go down on it. Some of you, I hope many of you, have made a covenant with your spouse that you will not go to bed if you have not resolved something. Too many of us, too many of us live in a false peace. Well, if the the conversation's over, so we just stop talking about it, it's going to go away, it kind of goes away. All it is, it just gets stuffed until the next time. It comes up, and the next time, and the next time. There's nothing healthy about that. There's nothing Christ-like about that. Because if we don't do this, we very likely will give a foothold to the enemy. You can give a foothold to the enemy in your marriage, in a relationship, where things just begin to seethe and boil, maybe even explode. could explode on someone else, but it comes out. Two principles I just gave you, let me, don't let the sun, don't let the, uh, sorry, a ways of not letting your anger turn into sin. Speak the truth in love. Do it today. Third dimension of this, though, that we need to understand in this exhortation is that not only dealing with how I'm supposed to handle my anger, but it reveals something about me. What is it that gets me angry? Do you know what gets you angry? Not getting your parking spot. Well, wait a minute, I'm in Orange City. Stuck in traffic. No, can't be that. I can't believe there were three people in front of me at the stop sign. I have not heard a horn honk. (laughs) Although, I have imagined that life is about to change this next week. What gets me angry, understanding that, is significant. Again, this working definition of orge anger is, is, is a... A violation of a commitment. A violation of something I value. It makes me mad. So what angers me reveals something about me. It reveals what I'm committed to. Listen, you could get really ticked off about something. It's what's committed, you're committed to. But if you look at it, you realize I'm committed to the wrong stuff. Why does that get me so angry? Oh, it's attached to my pride. Because I want it my way. That's why it gets me angry. Well, that helps me unpack a whole other level, doesn't it? Lord, why does that make me angry? Where does that come from? Because I need to get set free from that. I need to get healed from that. Just saying I'm not going to get angry about that anymore is a joke because it is part of you. What am I really committed to? 
What am I really committed to, not what I claim to be committed to? What I get angry about will reveal what I'm really committed to. It'll reveal my values. It'll reveal my priorities and my commitments. Anybody like me, uh, competitive? Any competitive people? Come on, raise them high. Be proud, competitive people. See, we won. (laughs) If you're committed to winning, losing will make you angry. It'll frustrate you. Oh, you know, 4th of July picnic, it just comes out as sarcasm. If I'm committed to relaxing, if I'm committed to relaxing and my relaxation gets interrupted, I will get angry. If I'm committed to myself and I don't practice what Paul tells me in Philippians of don't just look out for my own interests but for the interests of others, they're more important than mine. Well, then, if that's not you, you're going to find out. You're going to get angry. But if you're committed to other people, when you see them hurting, it'll make you angry, and that's a good anger. Are you with me? I think you get the point. In your notes, if you walk away from this message and it was just a message, then what, why'd you even come today? The point here is to allow, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal areas in my life, we're going to unpack a lot of them, that could be part of my life. And if it is, it looks like death whenever it shows up. And the exhortation is, why would I want that as part of my life? Take it off. So if anger is one of those things, if the Holy Spirit has been bumping up against you during this message, write in your notes, you need to prayerfully work through this. What is it for me that makes me angry? How do I respond? Do I even stuff and avoid? What what is it that's going on? How about this? Has this become a part of my life where I've allowed the enemy to gain a foothold? Just telling yourself you're not going to get angry anymore is a recipe for disaster. But I want to tell you something that is true, true. The Spirit of God, if He dwells within you, can set you free from anything that has a hold of your life. That is the truth. The power of God is greater than anything that you presently wrestle with. But you have to engage and invite the Holy Spirit into that healing, into that freedom, and then you will find that It is true. The power of God is great. Transformation is real. You could come here a year from now and go, 
I'm not as big of a jerk as I was last year. God is changing me from the inside out. Amen? So what makes you angry? What kind of anger is it? Does it look like life or death? 